Well, good afternoon. Happy Tuesday, friends. Welcome aboard. This is Afternoons on QR Calgary. My name is Rob Breckenridge, your host. Thank you for joining us here today. You want to join in the conversation? You can do that too. 403-974-8255. And my goodness, we got a lot to talk about today. Of course, yesterday we had the tabling of this motion in the Alberta legislature invoking the Sovereignty Act for the first time. This all concerns the proposed federal clean electricity regulations. We'll get to all of that in just a second. Now, we are getting an announcement just Just as we speak, the Alberta government unveiling the next steps in incentivizing the development of carbon capture, utilization, storage technology. Uh, This comes just as uh, Alberta gets set to send its delegation off to COP28. We're going to hear a little bit later on from the Pathways Alliance. This represents the big players in the oil sand sector. And they're moving ahead on their $16 billion carbon capture project. So some developments on that front today. A lot of other stuff we'll get to, as mentioned, your phone calls. So yesterday in the Alberta legislature, the motion was presented, which uh, invokes the Sovereignty Act, the Alberta Sovereignty Act within the United Canada uh, for the first time. But what does it actually mean? So this stems from the fact that Alberta has some concerns, some legit concerns, over the impact of the federal clean electricity regulations. The goal of getting to a net zero grid. The regulations would come into effect in 2035. It's easier for some provinces to do than others, and Alberta is certainly in the latter category. So this is, I guess, the province's way of making it known to Ottawa that we're not on board with things as they stand, and that we're going to look for ways to uh, try to push back or try to disrupt what Ottawa is doing. Now, that may involve potentially creating a crown corporation that would uh, supply electricity generated from natural gas. may also involve instructing provincial agencies uh, within the context of what's legal, everyone's, um, you know, careful to point out, uh, to disregard or or not cooperate fully with Ottawa on implementing all of this, that's a little bit unclear. But of course, none of this stems from the Sovereignty Act. Alberta's ability to establish a crown corporation, I mean, that already exists. This was one of the interesting moments in the press conference yesterday when the Premier was asked, well, why do we need the Sovereignty Act if you can do all of this anyway? You don't need the Sovereignty Act for any of this. What it does, though, is that it actually draws more attention to it. Sure. So, but that's not what the Sovereignty Act was supposed to be about. What did you think the Sovereignty Act was supposed to be about? Of course it was. Well, the Gordians, pricing the Gordian knot and putting Ottawa on its lane, and we're going to challenge the laws. We want to enforce laws. And that the first time you use it, you make it clear we're going to follow the law. So, I mean... Well, sorry to disappoint but this is what it was always about. I'm disappointed that we're following the law, Premier. No, I, I always said, like, this is what I'm asking the federal government to do. I'm asking the federal government to follow the law. The federal government is acting in a way that is disregarding now two court decisions that came down. And we are asserting, if you read the Sovereignty Act, you will see that the Sovereignty Act always asserted that we would stand up for our constitutional jurisdiction, stand up for our rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and that's what this is doing. And we're doing it through a mechanism of creating, if we need to, a Crown Corporation so that we can commission natural gas generation. Okay, so what does this all mean in practice? Uh, we're going to get some some insight on the politic, you know, the politics of all of this coming up a little bit later on. Rick Bell with the Calgary Sun will join us. Uh, but first of all, for some analysis of the uh, practical realities of all of this, very pleased to welcome to the program here this afternoon Andrew Leach, professor of economics and law at the University of Alberta, also author of the book Between Doom and Denial. Andrew, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. 
so let me ask you something first of all, because I know this is a pet peeve for you or kind of a head on desk thing for you. But 2035, and we got a lot of this yesterday, which I'm sure you noticed, both from Alberta and from the feds, uh, that there's somehow a deadline of 2035 when it comes to a net zero electricity grid. But what is, is the reality, first of all? Well, we, we don't know fully what the reality will be once the new regulations are finalized, but even the draft regulations don't require net zero by 2035. They start taking effect in 2035, and they build towards 2045 and 2050 net zero. And even then, they leave a lot of room for generation that still has emissions. So, you know, I, I posted yesterday that the, the difference between the 2050 timeline that Premier Smith talked about and the, the federal government timeline, you look at, for example, our grid operators modeling, the differences are really small. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some subtle ones that matter a lot, and electricity is all about the details, but this isn't a completely insurmountable gap between the, the stated positions of um, the Premier and the regulatory position of the federal government. Because it seems like it's an important distinction in terms of what the actual deadline is, and it, it probably doesn't help that both sides are clouding the issue. But based on your assessment of what the regulations require as of now, in 2035 kind of as a starting point for beginning all of this, I mean, are we talking, you know, 2040 or are we talking later? Um, I mean, we're talking much later. The the Even the draft regulations would allow, for example, some of the new gas-fired power plants that are under construction or or just about to come online here in Alberta to operate with no changes through 2045. So that a substantial amount of gas generating capacity, it carves out some room for any of the behind the fence uh, cogeneration. That part of their electricity gen is entirely protected as long as they don't export to the grid. I expect we'll see some changes in that. So, you know, you could have a, a situation very easily where the draft regulations allow a lot of the natural gas generating capacity that is currently planned and and or operating in Alberta to remain largely the same and then to add some carbon capture and storage to the bigger facilities between now and and 2045, you get a a situation that looks very similar under the federal regs to what Premier Smith is talking about in her net zero by 2050 um, Mm -hmm. discussion. Well, even today, the federal energy minister, Jonathan Wilkinson, suggests that they're open to extending that deadline even further. So right now, it's anything built before 2025 has basically 20 years to keep running without any of that abatement technology. I mean, if the government did extend that deadline even more, now there's even less difference, it would seem. Exactly. Like, I I think, you know, and again, with electricity, you need to, to remember that small differences can be really low. Right. We need supply to equal demand at every instant in time. And so you don't want to sort of smooth it over with averages and such things. But the difference is what what is remarkable, really, is Premier Smith talking about net zero across the entire economy by 2050. You know, if if you stack up the two targets, the net the the federal government clean electricity regulations or Daniel Smith's promise of net zero across the entire Alberta economy by 2050. Daniel Smith's promise is the more stringent of those two by a long shot. And so, you know, and we don't really see the, now, depends on on how you run that definition. But if you imagine that, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan are are really emissions intensive economies, we have a lot of 
high emissions into heavy emitting industries. You know, half, more than half of the country's large industrial emitters are here in Alberta. And the premier is saying we will be net zero emissions by 2050. You know, I applaud that commitment. It's probably the most stringent of the climate targets that are out there from any level of government in Canada. But there's no policy to meet it yet. And And so I think that's where we see maybe the biggest difference is that Premier Smith has a 2050 target, um, but we're talking about federal regulation that actually drives towards a federal 2050 target. And then those, you know, it's easier to make a, to set a target than it is to put in place a regulation to meet it. So I hope we see more of that from the Premier. So regarding natural gas, and we've got uh, a considerable amount set to come online, um, but it, I mean, I guess there is some uncertainty as to, you know, what this looks like over the next 20 or 25 years. But this threat yesterday, which is a big part of this whole Sovereignty Act motion, uh, the idea that Alberta would set up a crown corporation to supply electricity from natural gas to the grid and that perhaps potentially at some point Alberta would try to shield that entity from these regulations. I mean, what, what did you make of that, first of all? Well, yeah, it's it's a big announcement that may or may not amount to anything. So creating a crown corporation in and of itself doesn't really do much. But the fact that you were, you know, what was interesting was seeing the premier talk about uncertainty around investment. Right. And on the one hand, then she's talking about we're going to redesign the competitive wholesale market and all of the transmission system, et cetera. And then we might have a crown corp that would procure a whole bunch of uh, generation to keep prices affordable. So those three things put together, you know, if, if that environment alone, if you said, would I invest in a new, as a private sector entity, am I willing to invest in a new generating facility knowing that the government might come through with a, a new crown corporation to generate electricity? That's, that's going to have a chilling effect probably more than anything else. And I don't think it offers the shield that, that the premier thinks it will, unless we are really willing to nationalize the electricity system and bring it all directly under government control. But even then, it would still be the CEO of the Crown Corp and the officers of the Crown Corp were responsible for complying with federal legislation. You know, and I mean, to what extent is all of this uh, a paper tiger? And I think that was a lot of the debate yesterday is whether this really amounts to to anything more than symbolism. But I mean, you did pick up on, you know, some of the the threats towards or not threats or or talk of of how uh, ASO or the AUC or the AER would kind of be nudged in the direction of ignoring all of this or sort of presuming that all of this is null and void or unconstitutional. I mean, how meaningful is is any of this? Well, I I think we need to plan for the regulatory environment that may exist. And so if if the federal government comes forward with draft or with finalized regulations, and those are on the federal books for, you know, to begin having an effect in 2035, it's really important that we plan with that in mind, Um, you know, in the same way as uh, whether we're planning infrastructure for oil and gas development federally, we want to have in mind, you know, the actual likely oil demand, oil investment, et cetera. We want the same thing on the electricity side. So if we're telling the AER to sort of assume that that regulation is going to be gone, it's not going to be enforced, 
then we're not planning transmission around it. We're not planning potential new inner ties. We're not planning our infrastructure for an environment that might exist. And then that leaves us open to more costly implementation in the long term. Right. And I mean, it's something you've written about. It's something we talked about before, and you've alluded to some of it already. Some of the rules around uh, cogeneration, some of the other aspects of these plans uh, are, are challenging and are problematic for Alberta. So we do need to to plan for that and and figure that out. Absolutely. And, you know, we see, for example, you know, I think it's easy to, to put this aside and say, OK, well, this is just something that goes away when a Justin Trudeau government um is gone at some point in in the future, however long that future is. But I don't know that that's true. When I, I think you see, for example, um, even uh, Pierre Polyev talking about, well, we're going to rely on technology. Okay, we're going to need an environment where our grid operator is able to say, is the federal government going to legislate in some way related to electricity that we need to plan for? And so I think it's just generally good practice for our grid operator to plan around what might happen to policies and trends and technologies that, that affect us. And, you know, we've seen them caught in a way sort of off guard on the rapid expansion of solar and wind already. I don't think we want to institutionally direct them to ignore things that are definitely on the, on the horizon. On that constitutional question, and I mean, the premier has pointed to a couple of, of recent court rulings from the Supreme Court and the federal court. There's obviously the, the provisions around electricity in the Constitution, but we've got some established ground when it comes to uh, the federal government using criminal law in in, in this regulatory sense. So where, where does all of this end up, do you think? Well, I think the motion yesterday gave us a hint, right? Uh, when In the motion, it says, OK, this is regulation and the the term is in pith and substance or in legal and practical effect, this is, they framed it as legislation about the electricity market. And the federal government will say, this is legislation about toxic emissions. And if it's legislation about toxic emissions that imposes, you know, prohibition and a penalty, then the courts have consistently said that is valid territory for the federal government. Renewable fuels regulations, uh, PCBs, um, other toxics have been consistently upheld there. Now, the single-use plastics was a little bit of a deviation there, but it has some some very specific um, issues in terms of how the government, how broad the government's prohibition was and whether it sort of did the work in the background on justifying the toxic designation. So it does really come down to how will a court characterize or view this particular regulation if it's managing the electricity sector then i agree with daniel smith that's the the domain of the provinces but if it's mitigating and and preventing toxic emissions through prohibitions and penalties that's criminal law and that's valid federal territory and we see lots of that overlap you know, in, in resource industries overall. And, and the last thing I'll say, the, the last court decision, you're right, it did rule that the federal government overstepped. But if you read in the detail, they talk about a lot of this type of overlap where, for example, a mine, the, the mining part of the mine might be regulated by the provincial government, but the fisheries impacts of that mine are validly regulated by the federal government. And even if those fisheries impacts prevent the development of a mine or fisheries regulations prevent the development of a mine, that's still valid federal legislation. There's no 
provincial immunity. There's no right to develop um, in our interpretation so far of that Section 92A. Well, Andrew, we'll leave it there for now, see where this all goes from here. But uh, certainly appreciate your time and uh, your insight on all of this here this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Okay, that is Andrew Leach, uh, professor of uh, economics and law at the University of Alberta, focusing on energy economics. So his assessment of what all of this is likely to mean in practice. We'll talk about all of that, the politics of it all. We'll get some of the reaction today from the federal environment minister, reaction to that reaction from the premier. As mentioned, they're announcing uh, some new incentives for carbon capture storage. We'll get the latest on that. So plenty to get to here on a Tuesday afternoon. Your calls included 403-974-8255. Back with more right after this. Okay, welcome back. A few minutes here before the top of the hour. The one and only Rick Bell joins us coming up after 1 o'clock. So we'll talk a bit more about some of the politics here. Like why this and why now? in terms of uh, invoking the Sovereignty Act or sort of threatening Ottawa in terms of what we might do. Like, we're not really doing anything right now. And frankly, there's nothing really to do right now because, you know, we're 12 years away from, from this even taking effect. And look, here's the, the honest reality of it all. I mean, you know, the Liberals are going to be lucky to make it past 2025, let alone still be around to 2035 to implement all of this. So is it all a moot point if this government's about to get obliterated whenever the next election is? I don't know. Anyways, we'll, we'll get to more uh, on, on all of that. Now, in the meantime, Stephen Gilbo is still the uh, environment minister. He took the approach yesterday of saying, hey, this, you know, what's Alberta freaking out about? We're trying to be cooperative. We're working. We're talking. And then this just comes out of nowhere. Nova Scotia and New Brunswick also have a very difficult path forward when it comes to achieving carbon neutrality for the electricity grid by 2035. And yet they're sitting at the table with us trying to figure out how we do this. And that's what they should be doing as opposed to fighting us with this uh, this, this Sovereignty Act, which will, uh, I mean, it, it will lead to nothing. It, it doesn't help Albertans in, in, in any way. It doesn't help Canadians in, in any way. The purpose of presenting draft regulations is that so we can have conversations. You know, we, we try to, when, when we put this out there, we, we think it's the the best possible middle ground that we found by, by listening to uh, hundreds of, uh, of stakeholders across the country before we tabled those draft regulations. It's possible we didn't get it right, and we're certainly happy to have conversation with people in terms of what could be better regulations moving into final regulations if only Alberta and Saskatchewan were willing to have those conversations with us. Okay, so he's, he's portraying himself as kind of the calm, reasonable one here, and, and why is Daniel Smith, why is Scott Moe freaking out? I mean, it's a bit of an act here. I mean, he's, I think he's much more uh, ideological than pragmatic. And I, I think that's where a lot of the frustration out here comes from. But it is true that there is this working group set up. And the idea is to maybe find some common ground that these are just draft regulations. Nothing's been finalized or implemented. <laughs> Well, the premier certainly wasn't going to let Stephen Gilbeau have the last word. So the Sovereignty Act motion tabled yesterday. The federal environment minister reacting late uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, a little bit earlier here this afternoon. Uh, the premier reacting uh, to Gilbeau's reaction. Well, he will learn that if he does uh, not back down from his outrageous and unconstitutional targets of 2035, it'll be more than symbolic. We'll proceed with developing our baseload power on natural gas with the best available technology. And we will make sure that, uh, that uh, we are 
uh, able to to uh, shield any corporation from uh, from any kind of uh, of criminal liability. Whether that means that we have to de-risk it by being the generator of last resort, or we have to purchase some of those plants so that we operate them ourselves, so that we're able to continue on with having a a, a, um, a, a reliable power grid. So uh, there's this is just the indication that we're moving on this. We're not going to sit and wait while they break the law drag their feet, make us take them to court, spend years creating economic uncertainty for our investors. We're going to start commissioning those plants now because we need them now. Okay, so again, how meaningful is all of this and why now? Well, joining us uh, for some thoughts, someone who's been watching all of this uh, unfolds very closely, Rick Bell, columnist for the Calgary Sun, calgarysun.com. You can find his latest. Rick, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. So how serious is all of this and, and why now do you think? Well, it obviously sounds like the federal environment minister is not treating Smith or her government seriously. Um, he made several comments yesterday, as you mentioned, where he basically said this is no basis and she has no legal basis. This is all going to be about nothing. Uh, I think you even had on the newscast a couple of minutes ago, uh, Edmonton Liberal Member of Parliament, Randy Buzzano, talking about uh, talking in in similar terms, mm -hmm. and you had uh, this morning uh, uh, Gibbo being asked, "Are you going to take Alberta to court?" No, because it's just Premier Smith says it's a largely symbolic gesture, and you don't people take people to court as a symbolic gesture. Right. To me, that all adds up to they're not taking Alberta seriously. They're not, um, you know, shaking in their boots. They're not panicking at the moment they're 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 quite dismissive at least on what they're saying if we just take their words at face value they're being quite dismissive so we'll see what actually happens usually alberta alberta does not take the first punch in the fight alberta usually gets punched and then fights back and takes the feds to court that's the usual script that's not what's happening now Smith is jumping out ahead of these clean electricity regulations to set up her competing plan against the feds. So, uh, but so far, I don't think they're taking Alberta that seriously, to be honest with you. Well, it kind of feels that way. And I mean, you know, Gilbo is trying to sound like he's the reasonable one that, hey, I thought we were negotiating and we're willing to, to make some changes. And then this comes out of nowhere. So I think he's trying to portray him that way. But what's what's the source here of the premier's frustration? I don't think I, you know, uh, maybe I, I maybe there's something in the fine print that would be a slight tweak. But I nobody, including Gibbo, has ever said we are going to change the date from 2035 to another date further down the line and say, well, you know, he said there will be no carve out for Alberta. He has stuck to the 2035 date. Maybe he's talking about something in the fine print somehow. But I think the source of the frustration is the premier wants the date for that net zero emission electricity grid to be closer to 2050 then to 2035, and I don't think the feds, I don't think she believes the feds are going to go there. Now, there might be negotiations, I don't know about, as I say, more smaller items, but I don't think they're moving on the date. And, and therefore, she's doing what she's doing, because she wants it at 2050.
Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, the date's confusing, and, and I think the liberals don't help because I think they're trying to, to convince their part of their base that they've got a serious target in mind. But, I mean, you know, all of this doesn't actually take effect until 2035. So it's right. not as though 25 is, or 2035 is the finish line. It's almost kind of the, the starting line in a way. It's the starting line, but when you were asking why now, it's because part of what was uh, put before us in the Sovereignty Act wasn't just Alberta, the Alberta government is going to defy Ottawa's clean electricity regulation when they come through. Mm-hmm. The other part of it was they're actually going to build more natural gas, not less, more. And if you actually have a plan in your mind to build more, you've got to start rolling the ball that way sooner rather than later, because that takes a whole lot of time to get there. So remember, this whole talk about crown corporations or whatever they're going to do is based on that they're going to actually bring on more natural gas, not less natural gas. And the feds have said, well, we could be a bit flexible about natural gas after. No, they're bringing on more. Her plan actually has the government possibly bankrolling new plants or buying old plants if, right. if, if it comes to that, if it comes to uh, investors being scared off by, by the federal government. So she's moving. She's moving. Not only she's not just drawing the line in the sand now. She's also saying we're going to have more natural gas production in Alberta. Yeah. Period. Full stop. So that's that's a pretty big that's a pretty big gulf, I think. Well, and that and that would be a, a bold move. I mean, you know, the idea of a conservative government creating a whole new crown corporation, or the idea of you know this this could entail some considerable cost. But uh, how serious do you, do you think she is about this? Well, as you say, this isn't going to happen tomorrow. And as you well know, uh, her own personal politics is, well, she has called herself on many occasions a libertarian, whatever that means in the Canadian context. But so, so, and she said yesterday that this was not, you know, this was first stop. This was not the first option. This is actually the last resort. Um, she's very reluctant about this, but I think they put it in the plan in case um, somehow investors, private investors, don't come to the table to actually build this extra power, natural gas power, mm-hmm. and and others. I mean, eventually getting into nuclear and all the rest, but it, and and. The fear is that the federal government, even if the Alberta government is not following what the federal government is doing, I don't know how, what that's going to look like. It's all very uncertain. The uncertainty will scare um, a lot of investors away because you know business. Business wants everything laid out nice and quiet so they can make some money. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. So is she serious? I think if it came down to it, it it's quite a thing because... It wasn't that long ago, or maybe I'm just so old, I remember it as not so long ago, (laughs) that Ralph Klein, revered in Alberta conservative circles, talked about getting out of the business of business. And in fact, he wrapped up a lot of government interventions in business and, you know, got out of them 
um, liquor stores was the most famous one, but not the most costly. There were a lot of costly boondoggles that they eventually had to write off and, and get rid of. Um, so it is, it is uh, interesting that she is willing to get involved in the business of business. But again, I think that's because the premier does not believe that by 2035, they can do what the feds want them to do, largely because so much of Alberta's electricity comes from natural gas. Right. And there is no hydro. No. <laughs> unless we get a line from Manitoba somehow <laughs> uh, feeding hydro here. Um, and she has talked about that. But again, that's way in the future. But I mean, I, I find this interesting because it still is not... The feds haven't actually said what they're going to do. They said they're going to proceed further. Right. They have now said, I was on a podcast this morning where I was saying, you know, Alberta would be willing to go to court. Well, now Gibbo says they're not going to go to court. So what exactly are they going to do? Like, what are they hoping for? What is their play that they're hoping happens so that somehow Alberta will become compliant without going to court, without forcing them? Right. Even though yesterday Gibbo said... What happens in 2035 if people aren't following the regulations? And he said they will have to follow the regulations, full stop. So there's a piece missing in there where he's not being asked concretely, what are you going to do when the government of Alberta defies you? He said what he's not going to do. So what is he going to do? Right. Well, yeah, and, and that, that's a reasonable question. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, too. I mean, do you think Danielle is, is under any pressure in the sense that, you know, she sees next door in Saskatchewan, Scott Moe seems to be a bit further ahead down this path of fighting back against Ottawa, just the pressure of, hey, if you're going to bring in a sovereignty act, why is it just sitting on the shelf? I, th- I, think, I think seeing that, that Moe was doing that, and particularly also seeing that Premier Moe in Saskatchewan had that Crown Corporation option mm-hmm. with respect to the carbon tax so that, that they, they're not going to be collecting the carbon tax because they have a Crown Corporation that they can basically tell not to collect the carbon tax. I think both of those things probably had some impact on the Premier's thinking that Scott Moe was ahead. He's also ahead on other files unrelated to this, um, which we could discuss another day. But... Uh, And I think also because they have that Crown Corporation mechanism. Yeah. But I think the Crown Corporation, I agree with you, for some conservatives, it's, you know, it it did turn their head. Mm -hmm. There's no question going, really? (laughs) Right. But but I noticed in Alberta, a lot of so-called Alberta conservatism is tribal rather than philosophical. In other words, people have voted for the biggest spending governments in Canadian provincial history as long as they were called conservative. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a conservative believes in small government, but if a conservative government is a big government, conservative government, they still vote for them. That's okay, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, So there's a bit of a tribal thing. So I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people, at least for the moment, that self-identify as small-c conservatives and capital use, capital C, capital P conservatives, uh, probably are going to give a little bit of leeway to Smith because, you know, it's the party they voted for, it's the party they support, um, rather than 
at the moment at least, getting caught up in the in the prospect of a small C conservative government by brand led by a self-styled libertarian bringing in a crown corporation to invest in or build or buy nuclear gas plants. We'll see where it all goes from here. Your latest, as mentioned, it's up at calgarysun.com. Rick, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks for making some time for us here. Anytime. Thank all you. All the best. Cheers. Uh, that is Rick Bell, uh, the one and only uh, Rick Bell, columnist uh, for the Calgary Sun. His latest on all of this is mentioned, calgarysun.com. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter, at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.